Hello, everybody. Welcome to another amazing episode of The Collective Podcast. This is going to be episode 64 with the talented Albert Omas. Albert does many things. He's a guy, uh, a bit of a renaissance man. He's an engineer, designer, programmer. He's done many things. He works currently at a studio called Buck, which does amazing work. We talk a lot about his path, his journey, how he's gotten to be where he's at now, where he's heading. It's a really awesome episode. I know you guys are going to really enjoy it. Here we go, episode 64. So let's, uh, I guess let's dig in. You're working at Buck right now? Yes, I do. I work at Buck. I'm a staff uh, staff employee there. I think uh, they recently changed my title to creative technologist. Wow, that's interesting. I never even heard that name. Yeah, it's a title that I see being thrown around a lot lately. Um, seems to be people that work kind of more on the technical side, uh, doing code and uh, you know trying to integrate newer technologies into into this industry since like, you know, it's, it's kind of going away from just simple, you know, 30 seconds on a screen and it's kind of getting a little bit more, a little bit more complex and a little bit more, you know, involving other areas of technology. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of, that's kind of my role at Buck, I guess, is to just be that guy, (laughs) the technical guy. Yeah, no, it's killer. I mean, looking at your work, um, Andrew, our producer, he's the one that showed me your work. I've seen your work through other projects. I didn't know your work single-handedly, so I went through and checked out a lot of it. And a lot of it's really interesting, your involvement in the projects, because like you're developing, like looks like you're using a lot of processing. Is that what it is that you're using? I mean, it looks like you use a lot of things. Like I noticed, I read a lot of things through your work, like you use Houdini and like Maya, all these various different programs to like yield certain results for the team and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really, I try to use whatever the best tool for the job is. And over the years, I've, I've picked up so many different tools. Um, I kind of started the, the code art stuff with processing. And uh, yeah, I've moved on from processing a little bit towards more uh, Houdini stuff because Houdini is kind of like big boy processing, I would call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's heavy math-based stuff. Yeah, totally. And it's it's, you have, you know, complete access to the data, which is you know, that's like perfect for me. And then, uh, yeah, but I, I really try to know every single tool that we use in the shop. I mean, there's there's not a single piece of software that we use that I'm not at least somewhat familiar with and, and can work my way through, you know. How do you do that? Because I have a real hard time doing that. I have, maybe it's my attention deficit or something, but learning programs for me can be really challenging. I guess it's, you know, we're all we're all different, which makes this interesting. But well, I mean, you're saying that you work at Buck, which is a is a big studio, and um, you guys are using probably both Mac and Windows platforms, right? Um, Mostly the, PC. Yeah, the the LA office is pretty much exclusively PC, and then the New York they mix Mac and PC just because you know the artists there have very strong preferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, we use both. And so you're using. I mean, I'm I'm just guessing you have to be familiar with what, like 15 different programs, I'd imagine? Yeah, at, at least. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, I'm no, I, I'm probably not an expert. I mean, there's probably sure. people there that, that know Photoshop much better than me. They know the shortcuts and stuff like that. But there's, there's not a single program we use that I can't hop into and at least, you know, do, do a small task in, uh, whether it's Nuke or After Effects or, you know, Maya, Cinema 4D, Houdini, whatever. I mean, I, just hop in and out. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's a really significant, powerful thing. Uh, I was, when I was at Prologue, I was working with a friend of mine, Adam Schwab. Do you know who he is? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Adam's a very smart, intellectual person, and he was messing with Houdini. Um, I had a couple other friends that were working there on that stuff. I think a friend of mine was even going to school back to to learn calculus so that he could use Houdini more. Uh, Oh, wow. (laughs) I was like, the dedication was, was really ridiculous, but... It, it made sense because in order to get that, like, you know, heightened effect of understanding that program, you have to really understand, like, the dynamics of what that program is based around, which is the math, I suppose, you know? Yeah, but totally. the crazy thing for me, I mean, I, I'm more on, like, I guess the loosey-goosey, like, creative side, like, you know, um, just, like, creating the ideas and the content, but you're actually on the on the floor figuring out, okay, you have this idea, how do we make this happen, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I went to school for design. So coming into Buck, you know, I thought like, oh, I'm going to be this crazy designer. I'm going to be art directing projects and all this stuff. And uh, you get there and you realize that, you know, there's people that are exceptional at that, like almost like they were born to concept. They were born to make style frames. Yeah. You know? And then, and then <laughs> yeah. other people, people like me, I, I really feel like I was just, I was born to help artists realize their vision, you know, whatever that may be. Yeah. Um, it's just a, it's just a skill that I've always had. Like, tell me what you want. I'll tell you how to make it, you know, or, That's I'll, awesome. help you, I'll help you do it as well. <laughs> or like a cool symbiotic relationship. That's what I think it looks like for me. Like when I look at what Buck is doing, it, it seems like that's, like there's this really cool symbiotic relationship between the technicians and the artists, you know? Um, yeah, totally. I had, uh, I had Josh on the podcast and we talked quite a bit about his path and his journey there and stuff. And it was, re- it was really cool. It was awesome. And, and it's interesting to getting a little bit more of a viewpoint into Buck as a company because, um, there's, there's such a wide array of, of different types of work, you know, um, even stuff that I didn't even know, um, that they did that I saw on your site. I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. You know, like a lot of the Google stuff, maybe they don't have it like up in the front page and stuff. Um, but I thought it was really interesting as well. But that's, I mean, I guess that's a really humbling and really cool part. I, you must feel, you know, fulfilled at the office where you're like, okay, like this guy comes up with this idea and I'm the one that helps figure out how to execute it. You know, that's just as important, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I'm totally like a groupie for, for design. Like I love design. I love the art that we make at Buck and just being able to go into the office, walk around people's screens and see, you know, the work that people are working on. It's I mean, it's it's so inspiring. It, it makes me want to go into the office every day to be around people like Josh, um, these people that are just so so gifted when it comes to uh, concepts and design, and just they have a, you know, they have some kind of gift for it, and uh, it, it's it's really inspiring to be around that kind of talent. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's really the flow of it. I think you know, and there's a lot of. I think that's just a really great like formula at that shop and it's good they you know they're smart enough to have people like yourself who are are technicians and understand the background of things you know because understanding like you said understanding a broad stroke of all these programs is 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 very valuable um especially when you're creating like pipelines and workflows and stuff and you're working with different people and what they're doing and how they transfer files and stuff i mean it's it can get super messy instantly um i think at least yeah, my especially, especially with artists. <laughs> yeah, well, because, uh, you know, as myself, I would, I would consider myself more, I guess, quote unquote, like an artist. But you know, I'm not really trying to concern myself with that because that's so energy intensive that like I only have so much energy to burn. And so I'm going to burn it as fast and as hard as I can on just on the creative on the creation side of things, you know. 
totally getting totally. that idea out, you know, but as you create things with a group of people, I guess you complement everybody, um, everybody's weaknesses with your own strengths, you know, and that's what makes it really interesting. I noticed that you use a lot of, I mean, I'm going to probably bring up processing because I actually dabbled in it a little bit and I, and I enjoyed my um, experience with it because it was really interesting. Um, I think it's a free program still, right? Yes, it's free as far as I believe. It's it's developed by like a uh, university, I think. Okay. Yeah, it was really it was it was really interesting. I actually came to know of it because of Ridley Scott on uh, Prometheus. He was mentioning um, the House of Cards video, which they used the lidar scan to scan Tom York's face for the music video. Totally. Yeah. yeah and they yeah. released all the processing data online, and so I was like, I didn't have much time, so I figured out what processing was. I did a little bit of research, and then. And then I opened up the um, processing and, and I was able to find the data and I was able to move things around. I was like, oh, this is so wicked, you know, like uh, it's like real time kind of stuff. It was really fascinating. Um, but that's that's the extent of what I got into because then I'm like, OK, now I want to go draw something, you know, <laughs> like, like oh, I go off and do something else. But it was a really interesting uh, program. Could you explain to people that maybe don't know what that is? Um, how it's built or just a little bit of the nuances, I suppose, because it seems like you have a lot more, you've put a lot more time into it. Sure. Um, well, processing is basically like a framework. Um, it, it's, it's a coding framework. So pretty much anything you'd make in processing, you'd be writing it in code. And um, it gives you a library of, of functions and tools for you to use. So you don't have to start from scratch. Okay. So there's um there's drawing functions like you know draw a rectangle draw an ellipse you know clear the screen draw some type uh, draw a shape there's all these functions and commands that you can use uh, to build up you know some kind of interactive piece or it doesn't even need to have to be interactive it could just be a generative like still some people do a lot of generative you know just stills in, in processing and stuff like that but but really what it is is it's a framework for for programming so that you don't have to start from scratch because that's really, uh, I think, the biggest barrier for people when they try to start creating art with code is that there's so much buildup before you can even get a pixel drawn on the screen. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So <laughs> it's the energy kids. level. It's the energy level. You know, that's at least what I'm. That's what it deters me from from building my mind into other programs. It's just like I don't have enough energy to deal with that. But yeah, there's a platform, I guess. And sometimes some programs, I mean, I use Cinema 4D quite a bit when I do 3D stuff, and it's just so easy and fun. And, like, it allows you to have, like, happy accidents. You use Cinema 4D as well? Yes, that's a, that's actually, like, my... I, would, I wouldn't say it's my 3D program of choice, but it's probably the one that I feel most comfortable just jumping into, uh, making something, and getting a render out really fast. I think that it's a, it's a really artist-friendly 3D program. Yeah, um, it keeps getting better too. Like every iteration, um, I feel like they're really focusing on usability, but also um, understanding their impact on the industry. Because I think when Cinema 4D came out, it really opened up a lot of um, abilities for the motion graphics community, um, just because of its ease of use. I think prior to that, what were people using Maya and, and uh, Max? Yeah, there was there was Lightwave kind of floating around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a couple programs that were were pretty strong too, and there was one that was I think was free, but nobody it didn't like hit take off as well as these other programs. I think what was that one that was free and it was kind of like Cinema, where it was really simple and easy to use, and it yielded pretty de decent results, but it wasn't 
at the same caliber. I can't remember. Blender is Blender. free. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the program I'm talking about. Do you use Blender at all? I don't really use it much for production work. Um, when it when it first came out, and I was just dabbling in 3D, like when I was in school, um, I would play with it a lot. Mm. But um, as time went on, it's just kind of like, I, it is very powerful. It's a very powerful program, but it's just the workflows aren't there, and, and there, it's kind of rough around the edges. So to use it for like, you know, big commercial production work is kind of scary. Yeah, because uh, the results vary. Yeah, and yeah. you have no you have no support. I mean, there's no company to call and say, uh, "This is breaking every time we try to do it." So I need you to fix it. You know. <laughs> have you done that with Cinema? Have you reached out to them and have dialogue with them? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's been a few cases where we have like really hard crashing bugs. Um, I was working on a project in in the New York office actually, and we were using Cinema extensively and and trying to bring in a lot of uh, references. And that's when they had just added this feature to the program and it was just crashing for us constantly and it's like one of those things where it's hard enough just to just to produce the work but when you're fighting the software and having to you know walk on eggshells so that you don't crash the program it's like that's a whole other thing to worry about that you know nobody should be stressing about when you're trying to make commercials <laughs> yeah because the timeline is just ridiculous and 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 that's what you want to have with the, the interaction with the program is, is say hey i i do this i invest this time and i tell you to do this and then you give me back this you know and i know it's going to be somewhat close to what i'm after you know like if i tell you to have a fresnel shader and i give you like a sky map you know, like this is the reflection I want to have on that, you know, yeah, exactly. and if it doesn't, and if the information doesn't feed you back that data properly, then, you know, it's, then it becomes unreliable. And then I think the use of it probably doesn't actually spun out, spin out to be proper. I'm actually starting to try, I have a 3d friend who's like really adamant about me trying, um, MOI moments of inspiration. Moi, have you heard of that? No, it's I've a, never heard of that before. It's a 3D um, building software. It's made by one of the dudes. I think that he de he helped develop another another um, production platform program thing. Um, it, the name eludes me. I can't remember what it is, but it's called Moments of Inspiration. It's I think it's like only like 300 bucks or something like that. But it's kind of like because I'm wanting to do some hard surface modeling and stuff, and um, uh -huh. I was going to get into Moto because a lot of my friends were, love that as well. But my this other friend of mine, he's like my friend Roman. He's like, you should definitely try this because of the ease of use and stuff. So, the the problem I have, and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening um, share my same problem, is that like there's so much out there. It's like which one to use, why to use that one, and can is there one that does it all? You know, but it seems Absolutely. like there still isn't. There still isn't one that can be like. I guess Maya. I guess you could say that Maya is still one of those like. They, they have Mudbox for soft modeling and they have like animation stuff and you can do like texturing and you can really get intense with Maya. There's also Soft Image, right? Is, is Soft Image still around? They just killed it. Autodesk just killed that like uh, a few months back. <laughs> but I heard it's like, uh, I have a couple of friends, like my friend Brent, Ben Proctor and, and Vitaly, um, they use, I think they use Soft Image. XSI. Yeah, people still they they still use it. Um, Psyop was using it forever uh, yeah. in New York at least. And um yeah, I don't know. Autodesk bought it, and uh, they just recently announced they're not going to work on it anymore. So all the people that that have been using it for years, and people have made amazing work with it. I mean, yeah. they're just kind of left out in the oh, cold. That sucks. Because then, yeah. the, then what happens for them? They have to go and learn another program. Then I guess. Yeah, I mean, Autodesk they owns. They want to just keep using that. Yeah, Autodesk owns all the the big 3D programs besides Cinema 4D and Houdini, basically. I mean, they own Maya, they own 3DS Max, and they own Soft Image, so they they just push everybody where they want them to be. So it seems like right now they don't 
really want to develop Maya that much more. Yeah. And they're kind of throwing their eggs in the 3DS Max 3DS Max basket. Mm. Yeah. Um, I wish but they'd I make know. a Mac version <laughs> for 3D Studio Max. Yeah. yeah, that would be huge. Uh, I think it would really open up a lot of doors. It, they would be able to compete with uh, cinema, I think, in that range. But I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I mean, the results that I've seen from 3D Studio Max are pretty phenomenal. Um, but at the same time, I've seen really amazing results from cinema. So yeah. I, I guess it's just a matter of how intense you want to get with it, you know, and how how crazy your computer is and how well it can handle that kind of stuff. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. The, the thing that I'm always trying to figure out is like, I don't have that much time and I want to do this thing. I don't want to spend like a freaking week of just learning a program, you know, but I know that's what I have to do in order to get their proper results. Yeah. But that's what I really loved about Cinema 4D. I would like just go watch like Nick, Nick Campbell's like grayscale gorilla, like tutorials and they're like, Oh, okay. And then I would just, mess around with it for a day and then I'd find my own results and I'm like, Oh, okay, this is it. This is what I want to do. And then, but it took, it took time in order to learn it. But yeah. What do you see as being the future of interaction with pro and with programs and stuff? Um, as far as like artists interacting with their, with their tools and stuff like that, I guess in general, I mean, you could, we could go ahead and talk about specifics of artists using it, but I guess in general people interaction with programs, do you think it'd be more automated and just more ease of use and kind of simple? That's a, that's a really good question. I, I kind of see things diverging in a way. Like I see even computers themselves diverging and being almost two separate things now. Like yeah. you have iPads for everybody that's a normal person, and then you have computers for people that need to work on computers professionally. Yeah. Like if you need to produce anything, I I just see like you need a keyboard and you need a mouse. And for years, people have been trying to come up with better ways of interacting with with the machine and uh i don't know i just i really feel like that's probably the, as good as we're gonna get i mean really um i think it'll go beyond that have you tried the oculus yet i've well, oh yeah i mean it's, it's term, as far as like display technology and stuff like that yeah, yeah for sure like i think the oculus has huge potential uh, yeah i, I can see that as being like that is the next film industry it is gonna it's be the next yeah. era yeah it has to be um that's the way we're going to consume content in a virtual space yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's why Facebook bought them. If you think about it, they're trying to create something big, you know, like that's the interesting part of it. There's an interesting angle uh, and it's a very powerful tool. It's very interesting what's going to happen to society as well. Socially, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens from it. But I'm just curious. I mean, I, I, I think I brought it up in a past podcast, but I talked a bit about her and uh, my perception. Have you seen that film yet? Yes, I have. What did you think of it? I thought it was really well, uh, really well imagined. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I yeah. first, you know, Spike Jones has that that ability to really bring the humanity to almost any any topic. Yeah, and uh, you well, know, because it's, it's based around love. <laughs> Usually, most of the stories are the the fundamental law of humanity, which is love. <clears throat> yeah, totally. I mean, it was something that you could identify with, even though it's this really alien world. I mean, how how many people could really imagine having a, a relationship with a with a computer? But you know, he really. I, I think he pulled it off in that movie. I think and people I think, already do, if you think about it. Look how many oh, people yeah. like look at. The, I mean, look at how our conversation right now. We've never met in physical person. You know, like, but we're having a conversation through the internet. You know, we're having an interaction. And and I, I thought it was always funny with like Facebook. There's so many people on there. But I'll never meet all of them in person or have a legitimate conversation with them. And it's almost like they are a machine. 
you know, but they're not, they're not, but my interaction with them is through a machine, therefore making it mechanical in some sense. Sorry to jump in. I just, this is like really fun for me because I I just find this stuff to be completely fascinating. We live in a, (laughs) we live in an age where like, you know, guys like Carl Sagan are and all these brilliant minds would have just lost their shit because of how fun and crazy and imaginative this can really be, you know? And like, if you, if you don't wake up every morning, just like batshit crazy excited about like how fascinating the future is going to be then like you're not paying attention because there's opportunities to be had and just amazing experiences every every corner you know it's like the abilities it's just ridiculous but sorry your 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 um your understanding of that um film was it was well made and it had a good center um i I mean i thought that it, it it um it brought up a lot of important issues about just like the future and uh, even the future past where that movie takes us, you know, yeah. Um, the future where everybody has the Oculus Swift on and, you know, you're laying in some kind of like dentist chair for most of your life, you know, hooked up to this thing. And maybe you sell your body's energy to the grid while you sit in this chair. Cause you don't need it anyway. You know, like maybe we put ourselves in the matrix, you know, like I, I think about that kind of stuff, like yeah. far future and you know, where this is all heading. And, uh, it is, it's very psychedelic and it's very trippy to think that, you know, where we've come from and, and the direction that we're heading right now. Yeah. The metaverse. Have you, uh, I mean, your work has a psychedelic edge to it as well. We'll talk about your involvement with that and, and all that stuff as well. And, and I want to talk to you about G monk cause G monk is, a, is a really into a lot of this same kind of stuff. And we talk a lot about that as well. Mm-hmm. Have you, um, read up or heard about anything that's going on with that Kurt Kurtzwell guy? The, oh, Ray Kurzweil. Yeah, yeah. I actually have his book sitting like, you know, a foot away from me. Uh, the singularity is near. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm a big fan of of Kurzweil's work and his thinking, and um, I don't I don't think that his thinking is perfect, but I think that uh, None, he's yeah, got a very not. very good idea of of what's what direction that we're heading. Somebody had to say, you know what, humans should fly, and we'll figure it out. You know, back then, or somebody said, you know, the Earth is round. It's a fuck you. It's flat. You know, like there's mm-hmm. got to be somebody pushing the bounds. I mean, that's there's this thing my friend was telling me about the other day that creativity of the human mind is what propels uh our 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 existence you know like if you don't have a creative spirit or you don't have a creative understanding of how to like adapt and react to things uh then there then you're just a part of like something else you know creativity is what is what pushes the universe around and as far as humanity is, is concerned and and i agree i think a lot of this stuff is far-fetched it's very interesting it's more sci-fi than actual tangible like reality he's reaching quite a bit but at the same time I don't think he's so too far off, to be completely honest. When I look at where we are now and how fast these things grow um, based off of... there's The world's overpopulated, so we, there's so many people now that are solving problems more than ever. And when you think about how involved that goes into problem solving and how massive that gets, it's just out of control. It's, gonna, it's exponential. It's going to grow and grow and grow. And the thing that I was going to ask you about, and if, if you know much about it, which I'm really curious and interested about, is the, I think, it, I'm not sure the name of it, but there's a study where they're trying to map the human mind. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about specifically, but, you know, I have, I have heard of projects like this where they're, they're you know, that area of, of uh, medicine right now is, is exploding yeah. with, uh, with new research. It would go a lot faster too if people would allow them to test on humans and stuff, you know. But they, but they won't obviously because it's just 
and immoral and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's like this whole, like the, I think there's something like with the ultraviolet from like the jellyfish or something, they put it through the, the, the patient and then they could see when a person's reacting to something, they could see the activity in the head so they could trace where certain things go. Because it was a, it was an interesting thing where of course there's sections of the mind that interact more than other parts, but the whole mind itself is, is is constantly connected itself, you know. It's like, and it almost like for me. I mean, I'm going way far out there. This is this is the stuff that gets me so excited. Is I look at the internet and the human consciousness, and as much as wasted space on the internet as there is, it's almost like a very mirror. It's a mirror image. If you look at the Earth and our connectivity with the internet and stuff, it's very beginning, but it's almost like the beginning of human consciousness on the higher level. And it's, it almost mimics like the way that a human mind in a sense works where it's a network, a connected network of information and it's all firing at different times, but it all interacts with itself. You know, it's just, it's, it's really interesting how humanity, like look at cars, right? Like we make cars that mimic our faces, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) two, two lights, there's a nose, there's a mouth. I mean, car designers do that on for a reason. You know, there's a definite reason for these things. Like, look at sports cars. Look at the aggression of it. Look at cars that are supposed to be happy and fun. Look at how smooth and simple they are. It's funny how we constantly are replicating ourselves because of how fond we are of our own image. You know, it's just, it's really interesting. But yeah, I mean, that, that <laughs> topic alone, too. that topic alone, I've probably devoted like years of my life to thinking about like, cool, let's uh, talk about yeah. it. This, I mean, I mean, I want to definitely talk about your design and your schooling and the psychedelic stuff. But uh, I mean, if this is something of interest, I love this stuff. I know a lot of listeners are, are phen- like really interest, interested in this stuff as well. I mean, I bring up a lot of sacred geometry stuff. I talk a lot about that stuff. That's a really interesting thing for me. We used a lot of it in the film that we did for off, you know, like yes. that stuff is, is, is uh, that just gets me so excited and curious because, you know, math, you know, uh, the science of our understanding of things around our universe that we're just kind of put into this situation where we're like, what is this? You know, like science blows my mind because like, even like the other day I was watching cosmos with my daughter I love it. It's one of my favorite shows right now, and I used to, I love the Carl Sagan one uh, as well. But when when uh, Neil's talking about how interesting science is, and 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 how like phenomenal it is to like once they figure out that there's an invisible spectrum, then they can figure out how far a star is from that. And you know, it's like a little bit of information, and then the discovery of something huge. You know, it's like yeah, it's just phenomenal. And if and and it's it's just like. I don't know, man's desire, man or woman's desire to discover and, and just, and define things, you know, and, and to sort things out. And so, but yeah, I'm, 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 (laughs) don't get me started with this stuff, (laughs) but I'm just, I just find it really phenomenal, really interesting stuff. But what are some of the books or readings or things that you're really, that really, um, I don't know, got you inspired or excited about this kind of topic? Well, um, I had a, like, my good friend passed away when I was, like, 15 in a oh, car accident. Oh, sorry. That sucks. Okay. Um, but that was one of the events in my life, one of those transformative kind of events where you, like, I don't know, before that I was just kind of, like, uh, I don't know, apathetic about religion. I didn't really agree with it or, like, I wasn't religious or anything, but I didn't really ever think about it too much. Yeah. And uh, when my friend died, it was really, like, I don't know, you, you go through this, you know, 
this period where you just you're, you have to figure out something. You gotta you need answers. Yeah, there can't just be like there can't just be no reason for this for this event to occur. It's too big. It, it affected me too much. So I have to find a, a reason for it. And uh, that's when I started. I, I don't know how. I think I was at a bookstore with my family, and I picked up a book by Richard Dawkins called The Blind Watchmaker. Mm. And, Never heard uh, of it. I think it's his first book. Um, I'm gonna Google it. Keep going. Yeah, it's um, basically it. I mean, you could say it's kind of like a, I wouldn't say it's an atheist book, but it argues that the universe exists without design. And it does so by showing you all these amazing examples of, you know, living things and, and you know, how they evolve these very specific, you know, systems of whatever it is, camouflage or whatever, and even systems between species and all this stuff that just shows that, like, no, this all came from something simple. We all come from the same thing. This is all one giant tree of life. And uh, after I read that book, it just like blew my mind open. And I was like, oh my God, there's, there's so much to this, this evolutionary biology idea. And I just started, you know, really reading a lot of books about that. Hmm. Other books by Dawkins and, uh, and, you know, other evolutionary scientists and stuff. Because to me, it's like, as a computer programmer, it's, you build simulations all the time. Yeah, you're playing God in a sense. Yeah, exactly. So when you see that, like, oh my God, biology itself is just this massive simulation of of all these particles. Yeah, it's just... Through time, you know? Yeah, over billions and billions of years, you know, time that you can't even comprehend. But you can through math, though. That's the beautiful thing, you know? You just yeah. add a zero or you do like, you know, you, you use a language through math that you can understand it. But yeah, that's re- I'm, I'm, I'm putting this in my thing to buy because I'm, I'm just curious. I love this kind of stuff. I think I've heard of that book too. So, but sorry, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, um, that's okay. stuff is so um, exciting. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's what really got me. It got my, uh, I don't know what you would want to call it. Like my personal religion kind of solidified a little bit. And sure. I was like, oh my God, this is the raft that I that I can swim to and jump on and say like, this is my philosophy for how I live my life. Like, yeah. Um, just, you know, humanism and, and being a good person and, you know, being good to animals and, and all this stuff. It just like almost all the lessons you need are kind of wrapped up in evolution. And also like the, our humanity is what we can do to kind of like separate ourselves from our evolutionary past you know, instead of it being just this constant struggle for the survival of the fittest, we can say like, no, we're humans. Like, let's help each other, you know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm fitter than that guy over there, but but we can all help each other. And I know that's like a really hippy-dippy, like... I don't think so. I mean, that's the way of... That's a consciousness of now, I think. that There's been a lot of that thinking spreading quite quite largely, I think. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. still... We're still living in a day and an age where the era of people that ruled with an iron fist are still running the show, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of that still. But I think the generation of guys like you and I, this age, this day and age, I mean, we're not perfect. But, you know, the idea that I mean, I had a really interesting conversation with a group of friends uh, a couple weeks ago about the, the, the art of convenience. You know, I said, you know, we're here together because of this, uh, this convenience. But when you do things that are a little bit out of convenience or like even like this podcast, for example, like we're both very busy, you know, and we can do a hundred other things in our day. But we share we I mean, I get it. I get a lot of joy out of it personally, obviously. That's mm-hmm. why I continue to do it. But there is a convenience level of it that you're going against the convenience level. And when you go against that, I think that there's something interesting that happens to your humanity or your humility. And and I don't know, there's like, it kind of feeds back into the community in a certain way, you know? 
I get a lot of like really amazing positive like notes or emails or just like people saying like how awesome it is or how much they enjoy it and stuff and how arts help them, you know, um, through the different passages of their life. And for me, it's like an awesome experience, but I think it comes from that experience of, of creating, um, creating the lack of convenience, I suppose. I mean, I'm still, it's an abstract thought. I'm still (laughs) trying to figure it out my personal self, Mm -hmm. but, and through different teachings and studies and things that I'm interested in, you know, but, um, I'm, I'm randomly talking about that. I've, I lost a friend at a young age as well. And that did change, it shifted and changed me. I lost quite a few people at a certain age and it was like, ah, what the hell, man. And, And it really opens your eyes because it reminds you that we're fragile and you don't have a lot of time here and really open your eyes and take it all in and enjoy it as you can you know that's at least what it told me you know yeah totally absolutely it it, you know losing people has made me like uh it's it's definitely made me i don't i don't want to say selfish but it's made me much more aware of my own happiness Mm. and uh kind of pursuing pursuing what what i feel like i have to pursue deep down in my in my heart you know like um i could be I could be a computer programmer at some company, you know, but that's not what I want to do. I, I want to be at Buck. I want to be part of this, you know, amazing artwork that's being created. And, you know, it's like, that's my dream. And that's, that's the dream that I'm following. And, you know, I, I kind of owe that to that, you know, transformative life changing, you know, that pain brings about, you know, some kind of realization and you, you kind of figure out where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Well, good on you for, or for taking a really horrible experience and turning it into something really beautiful because that's really what it is right it's it's turning something that could be really harsh and 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 hard to deal with into something powerful i always felt that like you know i would live for that person you know like if they're no longer here like i live for them as well like so i lived like three lives or whatever you know like double like life no i totally i totally know what you're saying i mean my sister my younger sister, she died in a car accident. Wow, um, man. This is sorry. getting really depressing. I'm sorry. I don't really but, think um, it's depressing, though. Personally, it's life, you know? Like, I mean, yeah. I mean maybe it is. I mean, I mean, I'm sure for you, it's very harsh. And, I, and I've lost quite a few people as well. And I've, and like, close friends and, and family members and stuff. But it's just part of life. There's a beauty to it, almost, you know? Like, mm-hmm. there's a beauty to, to what it does to you, what I'm saying. Not to, not to the, the fact they're not here with us anymore. But what it does to you, because if you're a conscious human being, how it transforms you, you know, what what death actually really does. Which brings me back into that conversation of the film, Her, because I find that to be really interesting is I I saw that film as um, programs in the future are basically helping us through our emotional states and getting us to a level where we're emotionally sound in order to like do what we're actually supposed to be doing, I suppose, which is in the most non-hippie way I can, I don't even know how to say it, but it's almost like how to actually live and focus and, and, and love, I suppose, and give, I guess, you know? Yeah. Because if you watch that film and pay attention to it, like the way maybe I saw it for that, but I looked at it in a way where he was constantly like, he would get to a safe place and she would drop him. He'd fall, he'd pick himself up, just enough to get him to a safe place again and she'd mm-hmm. drop him again and he kept going through all these things into in order in, until he was emotionally sound in order to to be strong enough himself you know and it was a very i thought it was very s- strong writing very smart and and and, and uh reserved in a lot of times so you know if you don't pick that up at the first watch you might have to watch it again for those that are listening or if you haven't seen it 
you, I'm not spoiling anything. I think it, no matter what I say, you should go see it if you haven't already, because I think it's a really, really beautiful film, um, in all ways of things. But uh, I don't know. I just I, th- I found it really interesting, a really interesting subject matter, you know. And, and, you know, it's cool to see a sci-fi that's told like that. That's not like leather pants and like machine guns and shit you know like yeah totally <laughs> i mean i grew up on that stuff so i'm like yeah you know but it's it doesn't have to be blade runner when we when we're you know like you know no it's it's much easier to identify with too when it's something that you can kind of see like oh look they wear their they wear their pants really high up like that's something that like <laughs> it's fashion you know you can totally identify with with that but it's sometimes when it gets too crazy futuristic it's 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 hard to uh bring any humanity into it you know yes yes exactly well and then it becomes unrelatable and that's when you go into the real fantasy realm and then you have people with crazy projections that's you know like lord of the rings and the J.R. Tolkien. token it's why you created the whole different language you know you created a whole mm-hmm. different sub like culture basically you know out of that um i don't know those ideas i suppose you know which is really interesting psychologically you know i'm fascinated with films are you into films at all oh yeah i mean an- I have a stack of American cinematographers sitting next to me. Oh, really? Yeah, I I subscribe to it. And I I mean, I try to read every single one. I'm so interested in just like the the nerdiest stuff. You know, the cameras they're using, the lenses, the lighting setups, like everything. But even with film, I kind of approach it uh, very technically. Like, I don't know why, but... uh, Well, you're a technical dude, though. (laughs) Yeah, I I would never compare myself to like Kubrick, but that's kind of my style and uh the same pitfalls that he has in his work i i feel like i might have in mine sure uh, you know just getting so obsessed with the technical that you kind of make these movies that are a little cold you have uh, asperger's little, or something i don't i've never been diagnosed with it yeah um i don't think if i do have it i don't i don't know how strong it is sure. but it was it's definitely something that like probably nowadays they would have diagnosed me with something yeah there's a diagnosis for fucking everything you know yeah so. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of, I, yeah i'm kind of against that too because i feel like my parents just kind of were just like nah, there's nothing wrong with you just keep going keep going sure, and i of course. Uh, i just kind of learned to to deal with it you know and i learned how to make normal friends and all that stuff so i think like um for yeah for how asperger's i am i think that i'm pretty socially like okay like i can I can deal with social situations probably more so than most Asperger's. Are well, there's, yeah, there, there's different degrees of it from what I understand. Um, yeah, for sure. But I mean, I think that even myself, I sometimes go like, maybe I have some of that because I go crazy obsessive or I have really big problems being in social scenarios or something. Sometimes, you know, I don't want to mm-hmm. be around people and, or I just get really overwhelmed or just certain things trigger certain emotions, you know, that are kind of odd from normal people, I think, you know, so. Totally. Yeah. No, um, I, d- I identify with that a lot. Yeah. Well, it, I think it's, um, and I try to talk about it with my wife to try, try to explain it to her because we're a bit different is I, I just say that my, my brain never stops. My mind is always going like raging, mm-hmm. like it's always going like 110 miles an hour. That's why, like, I when I'm really upset, I get really pissed off, you know. <laughs> and usually, what keeps that stuff at bay is like when I do jujitsu or I go and like ride like 40 miles on my bike or something like that, like intensive, like physical drain. So like my brain can just be like, all right, I I'm tired, <laughs> like leave me alone. But um, I think that there's, I think I don't know. I, I've noticed that a lot of people um, 
and I, I maybe for me it helps me to identify things instantly and categorize them so i go like oh you maybe you have this and that might make a lot of sense for me just so i can like go oh, these are the kind of instances that happen with that but what you're talking about with kubrick and stuff and and i think that um a lot of creatives and a lot of directors um that are in this kind of scope of thinking have a lot of similarities to Kubrick. I think I've found, you know, he was a very smart, like uh, from the things I've studied, I've never met him obviously. Um, And the people that I've met who have known him and stuff, like he's very, um, he's very intellectual, very curious, like always very curious. And, and, um, but like obsessive about everything, you know, like Mm -hmm. to the T, you know, (laughs) like I love the shining behind the scenes where he's like trying to get the guy with the steady cam to have a speedometer on the wheelchair contraption that they made for him. So he knows how fast he's going because he has to be like going six point, like one, two, five miles an hour to capture the scene or something, you know? So, but at the same time, when you watch his films, not every one of those films really resonates properly. And some of them yeah. are really hard to watch. They're, they're really, they're just, you can tell that there's a there's an obsession that goes behind it, you know, so. Yeah, totally. But, yeah, I just recently watched, have you seen Enter the Void? Have you seen that yet? Yes, I have seen that, yeah. How recently have you seen it? I feel like I watched it probably within the last like six months to like revisit it because cool. i was hearing you know a bunch of people talking about it again <laughs> sure sure well i avoided it actually the beginning because everybody was going ape shit about it and i was like all right mm-hmm. if, if it, go, it gets overhyped i'm gonna i'm gonna judge it in a weird way but i finally got to a point where nobody's talking about it and then i could just go watch it by myself and i found it really to be really interesting and i and i watched a lot of things about that Gasper guy, the director. And mm-hmm. he, he was talking about like some of his favorite films is like 2001 and all that stuff. And it, and I was like, Oh, that's interesting that he would say that. Like, now I guess it makes total sense. Cause if you, if you've seen the film, if you're listening, if you haven't seen the film, I, I think you should go check it out. It's a bit, a lot of people got like that. It was really rough. And for me, I was like, you know, it, it makes sense. You know, that's, it's, it's kind of a one note film for me. It doesn't, it doesn't like go everywhere all over the place. I mean, you kind of, you, you know, what's going to happen at least for me. I don't know. Maybe it's just my experience with these kind of things, but I thought it was really phenomenal the way that the things that transition, I just was blown away about how much CG amazing CG was done uh, to get that done. That B B U F. I think that's the studio that did most of the CG for that film, but mm-hmm. it was crazy. I don't know. What was your take on that film? Cause there's a lot of interesting things that's going on in that. And you're talking about psychedelics, you know, (laughs) guys doing Um, DMT and all that shit. So yeah, it's hard to, uh, yeah. When you've done psychedelics, it's hard to watch that kind of stuff just because you're so critical of it. But yeah, I like that movie because, um, it's just, uh, it's experimental, you know, and I'm, I, I love anything that pushes kind of the boundaries of that, like, you know, of what is, what is normal, what is ex- experimental, what's outside the bounds of the norm and stuff like that. Yeah. And I feel like that movie, it, that director too, he pushes it, you know, he pushes the envelope and I don't, I don't necessarily even, I wouldn't say I even like his films. I mean, like irreversible is just like a, ugh, who would ever want to watch that for pleasure? I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, I've heard about <laughs> it. I haven't watched it cause I'm not ready for it yet, but I, I mean, I'm, yeah, I've heard about the premise of it. Just sounds like, Oh, this is going to be rough. <laughs> yeah. And like, I understand that, that kind of, that kind of art, but I also understand the exact polar opposite, like you the should. James Cameron, like, you know, <laughs> avatar model of like, we're going to make this product that appeals to, you know, as many people in the world as possible. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's benefits to both 
to both things. I mean, one of them is a more purely artistic endeavor, but I mean, especially with film, there's so much money involved that it's oh god, you can't even you can't say like I'm just going to make this. It's just going to be an art piece. Even <laughs> that even that art piece is going to cost you you know thousands of dollars a minute to yep. to shoot this thing. So it's not it's 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 like it's I see his film as like the highest level of art because just because of how much money is involved and how big the projects are and how complex they are. What I also think that you're might be missing when you're saying is that it's, it combines all art. That's why it's the highest level, at least, you know, when you get the full, the full massive experience of art, like when you get the music Mm -hmm. and the filming and the artistic creation, the creativity and the collaboration of multiple teams, even if it's just a couple people, even if it's just one person, though, then you can still get that experience. So. But for me, yeah, films take the cake as far as, uh, at least for now, it's going to change. I, I see films as being kind of like what books are for us now and what my daughter sees the internet and books as the difference. You know, like mm-hmm. she has like, I think she has an iPod with like all that stuff. And then she has like another like tablet thing where she... She interacts with that way more than she would with books. Like I had to literally be like, okay, we're going to sit down we're going to read this physical thing. You know, like her interaction with books, it just fascinates me because I love them, but I come from that era. I see films as being the same thing, you know, like right now it seems like they're just trying to replicate the old films just to make a buck, but they know it's not going to keep going. You know, it's like they can't, they need to figure out a new way. And that's what I really, I find to be fascinating about um, the Oculus and all that kind of stuff, because that's really where it's going to be get really interesting. Um, because you're going to have fully immersive experiences. Um, that's you know, it's beyond games, it's beyond film. It's a it's a fully almost inhabitable third eye space. It's fucking nuts. <laughs> it's like really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's blowing my mind. You know, like, and it's crazy that we're in this day and age to be involved with it in some form. You know, like I'm hoping to do some stuff with them eventually. You know, but it's phenomenal. It's really interesting, though. What would you? Um, are you thinking? So you're at Buck right now. Are you thinking that this is where this is your dream, and this is what you want to do, and, and and you're stoked, and this is like you don't care about anything else? Is there some, <laughs> or is there other things? And because I I notice like in some of the stuff that you're doing, you're starting to explore like the psychedelics or the the math, like kind of like the math porn, visual math yeah. porn that you're getting <laughs> totally. into as well. And, and, and GMUC's falling into that, like the, what do you call that penile gland that's in your brain that opens up that Oh, crazy, pineal gland? Pi- pineal yeah. gland, yeah. You guys are like opening up your pineal gland like every day. It's like getting all crazy. <laughs> There's yeah. a saying, I was probably, I said it before, I thought it was pretty interesting though, but Maynard, the singer from Tool, he once wrote an article or said something. I, I remember, I think I read it somewhere, but he said that to do a drug is good. It's fine. Be ready and be mature enough to try it. And then don't do it for a year and try to recreate it physically uh-huh. in yourself. That's the real shit. And I was like, oh, that's fucking badass. You know, like, so it's almost like when I look at what you guys are doing, I'm like, oh, you guys are just trying to recreate a certain experience, you know, in a certain way, you know, it's, it's a, it's an, ex, it's a, it's a, it's a, it doesn't, it's probably not even close to what it is, but at the same time you're trying to figure out like how to get back to that planet, I guess, you know, or whatever you would call it, you know? Yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, GMUG is definitely a, a big influence of mine. Um, I hear more about Bradley than probably any other person on the planet that I've never met. I mean, every <laughs> never single met him day. Before? I've never met him before. I mean, oh, he follows me on Twitter and stuff. But I mean, we 
I don't know how we've never met each other. I mean, I'm constantly hearing about him like every single yeah, day. He's I like hear mentally stories. related. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So I, I know I'll meet him one day, but yeah, he's a big influence of mine. And, um, I guess he was probably the one that, that showed me that like doing op art was fine. Like you could do that and that'd be a thing. And, um, you know, just experiment. And, uh, that those projects all are just personal stuff that I do, you know, outside the office. Um, some of them are, you know, they, they're birthed out of tests that I'm doing or research and development that I'm doing at Buck for some other project or something. And I'm like, Oh, that looks cool. And I'll, you know, I'll roll it into something else. Sure. Um, as far as like some like overarching philosophy of like trying to, you know, bring people into the world of psychedelics. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know what the goal is to be honest with you. Well, shit. When you put the Oculus on, you put those things on, dude, you're going to trip people out, man. Yeah. Like I, I, I definitely know I can trip people out, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's like uh, the most powerful art has always been like just films with people. And, you know, I, sure. I, I identify a lot with that stuff. So it's, it's, I don't know. I'm trying to mash these two worlds together somehow. <laughs> well, that's a projection. I think when you're watching people, you're projecting yourself. The human mind is ability to project themselves into things, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and when they study or watch something, they're projecting themselves in, into that experience or whatever. And that's what makes like certain films like you're talking about the James Cameron. It makes it so relatable because he makes his, he makes his films to be absolutely the most relatable thing as possible so that he gets as many eyes as possible onto his film, you know? Yeah. Totally. Whereas, you know, you get like not many people, even like I was watching a thing be, of the behind the scenes for alien and Sigourney Weaver is talking about like 2001. She couldn't watch it. She just made her feel uncomfortable. She couldn't get through it. <laughs> and so not everybody, you know, in, even myself, you know, like before, my 20s i i would i loved that film the art of it because i had some like sketches or something that's like really what helped develop me uh, growing up like early sketches of ralph Macquarie for star wars and like old like um, 2001 concept stuff but i couldn't even sit through and watch it as a kid but as i get older i'm like oh this is great you know it's like it's got everything that films don't have now which is like restraint and and tempo and composure and stuff a recent film that i saw and i'm not sure if you've seen it i want to talk to you about it is uh, under the skin have you seen that yet no, I haven't. You should watch it. I think you'd like it. Under and the skin. I got to write that down. It's got Scarlett Johansson in it. Um, it's really interesting. It's by the guy that did Sexy Beast. Glazer, I think his name is. can't remember his name, but that's a really interesting film. Um, there's some really interesting things that go on in there. I won't say anything beyond that. If you're listening to and you like experimental film and, and filmmaking and stuff, check out that film. Um, and if you hate it, don't blame me. <laughs> blame the filmmaker now but it's it's interesting and for me i, I love exploratory stuff i i don't like i mean i had a conversation with my wife about because she didn't like she doesn't like films like that and i love i love weird films mm -hmm. and uh she's like no nah, i think she likes the resolve you know at the end of it she doesn't like to leave a film with it's like hey how about you figure this out you know and for me i i i am fascinated by that because i just find it to be really interesting and just like i don't know there's so much to learn and take from those experiences you know but yeah because i mean sometimes I'll, I'll sit and watch a pixar film and i'll just be like ah oh, fuck yeah this is so great because they make really fun entertaining films but sometimes i want to just be completely immersed in a totally different experience and it doesn't have to be like first second and third act you know yeah totally but, um, yeah. I, I meet a lot of people in this industry, like especially young kids and stuff like that. They're really obsessed with like that whole Pixar, you know, Disney animation, like very childish, very, you know, light. Yeah. And, uh, I think that stuff's, that stuff's great. Like I, I like that stuff too. And, uh, 
you know, I think it's really, it's, I mean, it's great for kids and stuff like that, but I just, for me, I, maybe it's the way I was raised. I don't know. I just, I, I was always seeing like R rated movies at a young age and I just, those movies just so much, they impacted me so much more. Like when a, when a director was really pushing the limits and like really showing like adult themes and, and really, you know, complex emotions and stuff and, and everything maybe isn't all wrapped up at the end, you know, those are the films that stick in my mind. Yeah, you know? the unresolved. What are some of the b- big pivotal films that you can remember from your childhood that kind of sparked your interest in doing this kind of stuff? Wow, that's a good question. Um, Bambi. I mean, I, no, joking. Yeah. <laughs> I would go to the movies with my dad all the time, and I think it was because like my mom didn't want to see whatever my dad wanted to see, so we would go see like the, the boy movie, and he, my sisters and my mom would go see the girl movie, and like... Uh, one of the first movies I remember like really messing with my head was uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. I, I saw that in theaters. <laughs> I must have been like eight or nine years old. Oh, shit. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I remember like after the movie, I'm like, Dad, what was that part with like the gimp? Like what was that guy in the box? And he was like trying to explain it to me. Like, wow. Um, what a risk yeah. your dad took. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what he was thinking. I guess he just didn't think that like there was anything that, you know, he couldn't explain to me in some kind of rational way. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, I was just exposed to all those, like, you know, those very adult ideas at a young age. And I think that kind of, uh, I don't know, it just kind of opened my eyes to the world being more complex than just Pixar cartoons. You know, there's there's more to it. And there's, and especially when you've gone through, like, some crazy emotional, like, you know, death or loss or something like that, you really start to see that, like, Okay, like uh, there's more to this like, human experience than just happy and fun, oh, yeah. and you know, you get the full experience when you experience a, a close one that you're connected to, emotionally and physically or whatever. If you experience them passing, dying, you instantly get the full picture. You know, like not until you actually really experience death like that, or your own death. But then who knows what happens after? But if you don't experience that, you're only getting half of the picture of the human experience. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it sucks. It's fucking horrible. It's the it's a very hard thing to deal with. I've become a bit jaded personally. Like I kind of let it happen. It hits me like a wave and then I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck it. You know, like even my best friend who died and I didn't even go to his funeral because I didn't want to see his dead body there, you know. Like mm-hmm. the last time I want to remember is like him and I just like being fucking idiots and having fun and just like being dorks you know like that's the memory that i want to have and i just acknowledge that that's that's all i'm gonna get you know but everybody deals with that stuff differently it's very interesting though but i it's an interesting perspective to think that if you don't experience death through loved ones and stuff that you're only getting a a percentage of the existence on this earth you know so yeah yeah which is unfortunate for those of you that are listening that haven't experienced that yet be prepared because it's a very interesting thing that it'll do to you you know so if you're really if you're really connected to to somebody you know so yeah it's fucked (laughs) (laughs) we're getting super deep into some some fucked up stuff but yeah you know i think that's what makes this kind of fun and interesting though (laughs) oh yeah this is life (laughs) tis is life exactly well is there so besides like pulp fiction are there some films that you continually watch now or there's some films that are just things that you're you're still interested in or do you want to make films it sounds like i mean if you're reading about like you know cinematography and all that stuff are you curious and or interested in making your own films or have you done such a thing or you know you, you it, said you yeah. come from design school right where did you go to school uh, I went to school in uh, at Expression in Emeryville, which is like a total just for-profit art school. And oh, that Emeryville, was after huh? 
that was after dropping out of of university for computer science because I just didn't, you know, I didn't want to deal with it. I'd already taken so much computer science classes that I was just like, <laughs> why am I here for this? This is not what I what I want to do. And so after that, I I, I worked for like three years. Uh, just working and I was like oh I don't need a college degree I'll just keep working and I was making decent money so I didn't really care and then what I don't were know, you doing for work uh, I was working at Costco mm. I was like a front, <laughs> front end like supervisor so it's yeah like you make like decent amount of cash to keep you there I think I have a couple of friends that are stuck at the Costco um, black hole yeah oh, and like yeah and I mean I've had a bunch of family work there my dad is an executive for Costco so it's there like you go. yeah exactly there's 400 you know, cans of tuna for 50 bucks yeah it's it's <laughs> it's a great business to work for you know and sure. uh but at the same time it wasn't for me like I just had bigger dreams and I can't I, I don't know I can't imagine anybody's dream is to work at Costco but it was just so outside my dream like I had to figure out something closer to what I wanted to do and uh so one day I was just like, uh, I quit and I'm going to move to California and I'm going to school for motion graphic design. And I, I did it and I left. Killer. And uh, yeah. Did you see something that made you super pumped up or were you just kind of always aware that there was these companies that were doing this work? I guess I was always aware of it, but I yeah. didn't even know what it was called. I was just like, oh yeah, that's like computer graphic stuff that like you do on TV. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I knew about that stuff, and I, I definitely knew a lot about visual effects, like in film and stuff. Yeah. Did you um, did you read a lot about like how films were made and stuff? Oh yeah, I mean just obsessively. I I, I can't. It was a magazine, Cinefix, is that what? It yeah, is? Cinefix. Did, I used to like you know save my money because it was expensive. It was. It like, was yeah. You know, Fifteen bucks or something for this magazine. Are but, we the same age? Are you thirty? I'm 28. 28. Okay, we're we're pretty close. I'm 31, so we're pretty close. Yeah, I, I remember growing up, and that was like it was so expensive. I could order, I could buy like five comics for the price of it, but I bought it anyways because I'm like I was fascinated to understand like how they made Godzilla or whatever. You know, I was just like so curious. Yeah, totally. And and I mean that was just that was part of my motivation for even being interested in computers was like, Oh my God, they use computers to do all this crazy stuff. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, it's not just business. It's not just spreadsheets. Like no, computers, no. computers can be art too. Totally. I was watching something about like the making of Jurassic park and how fucking mind blowing and, and life changing that is for so many people. That pivotal moment where like, wait, you made a dinosaur with a computer? Like, how did you do that? You know, like before it was kind of being used properly, but it was never to that extent. And it was just that, perfect time and perfect place in, in Hollywood history that will never get replicated again. I think yeah. what will happen is there, there's going to be a replication of it through the experience of an Oculus VR experience. You know, not, Maybe it's Oculus, maybe it's another company, but you're going to get an experience unlike anything else. You're going you're gonna to understand empathy beyond what you've gone through prior into physical, in your physical life. You know? You'll understand love in a whole different dynamic. You know, like that it'll change instead of just like a dinosaur thing it's like it's all been geared up i think design in order to make us understand ourselves even beyond yeah so <laughs> that's what i think at least i'm curious to see if that's what happens so i agree i i really think that people are gonna go through this stage where they realize that you're not a discrete unit like you're not one thing you exist as like this massive simulation you know you're just a little part of this massive simulation even your body yep. is built up of like trillions and trillions of cells that all like kind of operate interdependently and interacting with each other and stuff you're just this massive like lumbering robot of 
a conglomeration of like trillions of cells. So like even you are not one thing. You're you're billions of things. And yeah. so I think that like yeah, the humanity will just like become this new hive mind type thing. And I think we're already seeing that with the internet. I mean, that is the like the new hive mind. <laughs> it is. It's very interesting. You know, like like I was gonna say, I talked about my daughter. She's she'll be on like her her phone and she'll be texting her cousin who's in the same freaking room i'm like dude why don't you guys talk to each other but they, they find it to be curious like interesting you know like it's another like form of language it's our new language you know it's like for me I, i'm just like you know i always constantly go like am i upset about this because i'm getting older or am i upset about this because like it's not good and part of me is like it's probably uh-huh. not very good you know but at the same time it's just like the world's gonna change and i can't stop that you know like i can't fight against that kind of thing you know it's just going to eventually happen be what it is but i couldn't agree more i think of the internet the hive mind all that kind of stuff you know like i I'm, I'm curious to see if they can map and create regenerate a human mind's consciousness it's a matter of time until they can figure out how to um you know like one of my favorite films is uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind i just find it fascinating you know it's like the way of telling sci-fi without like you know, like I always say, like Uzis and leather. It's like, very, <laughs> you know, you lay in this bed and there's this little device and that's it. You know, like even like Inception did it as well. Like very low tech yeah. looking thing, but does such a significant thing. Um, the dreamscape and all that kind of stuff. But I'm curious to see was if they can figure out how to map the human mind. Who's going to be the first person to jump into creating another mind out of themselves? Or who's going to merge? Like somebody's going to love somebody so much they're going to want to merge minds. You know, like uh-huh. it's going to be ridiculous. You know, or somebody loses a loved one and they they regenerate them in the VR and then they they live in the VR world. You know, with that person. You know, that's just really strange. You ever watch um, um, Black Mirror? That show Black Mirror from the UK? Yes, I've seen. I think I've seen like three or four episodes of it. There's only six right now, I think. Did you? Which ones did you watch? Did you watch the entire history of you? Did you say? Uh, I watched the first one, which pig, was the like pig the pig, yeah, yeah the pig fucker, and then <laughs> I watched the second yeah. one, I think, which was like the crazy, like super far future, like video game treadmill world kind of thing. Yeah, that was my least favorite one. That was interesting though. That was definitely yeah. interesting. I one. thought that was just like so abstract that it was kind of cool. And then I feel like I watched one or two more, but I can't. Oh, I watched the one with like it was like a Google Glass type of thing that's like, the heavy one yeah yeah that one a, was just like i like turned it off i was like oh this is like really heavy you didn't you didn't, you didn't watch the whole thing <laughs> i think i watched the whole thing but it was just like oh god it like kind of turned me off of the show i was like oh, this show is dark like yeah. It's dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's like her gone wrong but those 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 shows i watched them quite a few times actually and the more i watched them the more i realized how preachy they were but at the same time i enjoyed them because even if they are preachy, they're they're an interesting like they're kind of like a Aesop fable of the future, I guess you know. Yeah, totally. I mean, that stuff's so important. It's so important to know about like what are the potential pitfalls of these insanely crazy new technologies that that are coming out, and you should really project yourselves. You know, fifty years in the future, a hundred years in the future. What is this? What kind of impact is this going to have on on humanity and and the planet and all this stuff? You know. Yeah. Well, it says the socialization, like I was saying, my daughter, who's, she's, she's not using her audio, audio, like her, she's not vocally speaking. She's not using what we grew up with. You know, she's usually, she's, she's using another form of language now. It's a very interesting thing. And whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. You know, like yeah. I need to, maybe I need to do some more research. Maybe it's, re, it's, she's having a regression of her mind because she's not using a certain thing that's helped us advance to where we are now. 
or maybe she is maybe she's using a, a higher higher mindset you know or something but i just find that stuff to be fascinating and i knew that you'd probably be interested in this based on your work and also by the fact that when you when you do what you're doing like which is like programming and creating things and constructing things on, on the smallest of levels it's it's godlike mode you know like you're designing things out of math which is like our perceptive universe is based off of that you know it's interesting stuff yeah totally i mean my <laughs> the yeah i don't know you can't you can't extricate like all my crazy theories about the future from my work like it's just sure well i'm i'm reaching obviously you know i'm going way beyond you know what a normal person probably look into but um you know i don't know i'm just i'm, I'm just because i'm so freaking curious about all this stuff because it's just really fascinating no i mean i think about like the details i think about like the actual structure of the architecture of the computer that would run like a super intelligent simulation that would simulate like a human being. Like what would that look like? Or what would that be? Do you think? Well, I, I kind of think that this is getting really nerdy, but like, no, I kind of think that, uh, like you couldn't do it with computers that we have now. No, you couldn't. Yeah. You would They're have primitive. to build. Yeah. You'd have to build hardware specifically for this purpose. Yes. And I would imagine that the hardware would be modular, like almost like blocks that you would stack and you would connect into these massive, you know, massive computational just grids of structures and stuff like that. And I, I would imagine that most of the computation would have to be hardware. It'd have to be built into the, you know, the molecular structure of, of this computer itself. And it wouldn't be necessarily running software in the traditional sense, you know, it'd be something new and you know i think about the algorithms to store this information and like how do you represent like like a human let's say how do you represent a human in the most efficient way possible you know you could go down to like the individual cell and and you could simulate every single atom in a human or you could start abstracting you could say like okay this cell always operates this way given these inputs and these outputs or whatever and then you know abstract a human a human always operates this way given this input and this output and really define things using math and using equations uh, to abstract. And so you're not, you're not storing all the information of what you're trying to simulate at once. You're storing some kind of abstraction that's good enough. Um, but just things like that, like very nerdy, very... Like, no, I don't think it's nerdy, though. I think it's definitely a considerable thought of the future. And, 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 and you have to perceive these things. You have to kind of figure out what they would be. Well, when you said these things, I kind of picked up on a couple of things, and I find that really interesting. I remember when when computers. I remember owning one of those like old Macs, like the it was like um, I don't know what are those things. Uh, they're like a little box kind of thing, you know. I remember owning one of those, and I remember thinking to myself like, "Man, this is so cool!" And then I eventually got like another um, like a newer computer, and I think it like I don't know had like. 16 megabytes of memory or something stupid like that and uh, like the floppy disks and all that stuff and then you know now where i would have i have like a, a thumb drive with i don't know like 50 gigs or something like that it's just like and i think of myself like the exponential growth of these things or even like compressing and zipping files the math behind those things you know and mm -hmm. what you're saying like having a constructed like device where it has like a you you know you, you're shifting things around and it has these big computational things. Anytime I think of the physical size of things now, I always think of it. Okay, it might be big now, but it's going to get much smaller later. You know, like mm -hmm. it's they're going to figure out a way. Um, they they mean being either you and I or people like ourselves or the other people that actually have the ability to and the money and the means to. 
one of the questions I always ask myself though with this stuff is is why why do that why make that you know like that's one thing I'm always kind of questioning too with like the Oculus like why make that like why do that when you can why imagine like sitting on the beach in Hawaii when you could just go do it but mm-hmm. at the same time it's not obtainable for everybody all the time you know that's what I'm saying it's gonna be a very interesting dark weird thing that's gonna happen with humanity I think and and I'm not trying to downgrade it or say it's bad I just it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens to uh, humanity in general when it comes to this kind of stuff you know, the addiction to this virtual world you know so yeah I think it's unlike anything we're gonna see before it's gonna be very interesting and I was watching this thing on in China all these kids are getting addicted to, to World of Warcraft so bad that they're wearing like an adult diaper so they can like <laughs> so they can sit and play the game like they can they won't stop playing and, and like they have to their parents like have to almost like drug rehab they go in there and they have to like get them out of there and put them through like a boot camp thing it's it's pretty fucked up and that's this World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I, it's it's one thing that I've never really understood because I just, I guess I just don't play enough video games. But it's, me too. It's, it's so hard for me to understand. Like every time I'm playing a video game, and no offense to people that play video games, but like I really feel like I'm just wasting my time. Like yeah, I feel the same thing. Yeah, unless and, it's and, really great, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, okay. There's some indie games and stuff that are mind blowing. Like uh, Papers Please was a was a game that I. I don't know if you've heard of that, yeah, but it's a game that I... Uh, Thomas Thomas was talking about that. Yeah, and this was a game that to me was like, it, it it brought about those same kind of things that we were talking about with like experimental film. It was like, this is really pushing the bounds of what it means to be a video game. What it, Are video games supposed to be fun or are they supposed to be more? Yeah. And uh, that was a game that really kind of like cracked me open again. And I was like, oh, maybe I should look at video games again and see kind <laughs> of like what's what's going on here in this space i still see the like mainstream big budget games as kind of being just shallow and well of course you know it's like how many guns can we use to shoot this monster and then you know it's like okay like basically they're using the same platform and like i know friends that work at these studios they're using the same game engines that they're using since like doom you know like they haven't figured out it more. I mean, but they're making so much money. The people that decide this, and and, and and it's honest, I'm being fucking straight, is people that buy it. Yeah. If you want to change in it, don't buy that stuff, you know? If you want something new, but at the same time, they, if, you, if they're going to continually make billions of dollars, you better believe they're going to make the same fucking thing over and over because it's a safe bet, you know? So Totally. But yeah. that's just part of the, 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 the program and stuff. But no, I have paper please on my computer, actually. I haven't I haven't had time to figure out and mess with it yet, but um, you're the second person to randomly bring that up because it sounds really interesting. There's like this interesting, um, I guess, uh, empathy kind of thing that happens. And, and I think, yeah, I, think, I don't think games are supposed to be like that. And that's what I was getting back to about like her and, and the theories of this like, newer technology and and why and what these things are supposed to be doing and and all that kind of stuff. I just find it to be really interesting. You know, I just, I'm curious as to why and what these things do. And and coming from a person like you who actually goes in there and and, and figures out how things work and and, and how to develop them further. I'm just curious as to what your standpoint on a lot of this stuff is, because um, I would imagine, like you said, you think about it, you know? So yeah, it's crazy. Crazy stuff, dude. Crazy stuff. Do you, um, what program do you find yourself, I don't know, I guess, wanting to develop further or playing with more often than others? I'd say right now, the my biggest, 
like the program that I'm exploring the most in is Houdini, just mm. because I, I see it as being so powerful. And um, it, it it's really the first 3D package that I found, other than like writing straight code, that is that gives me the control that I that I want. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't really feel like you're fighting with it so much, but uh, at the same time, it's very Houdini's like a very slow process. Like you, I would never say like, oh, let's use Houdini. This will go really fast. <laughs> like it's it's a very slow process, and and in commercials, it's it's a lot of times it's hard to fight for for a slow process. Like sure, it's a lot of you know, let's just get it done. Let's just get it done. Let's just get it done. So, um, but yeah, that's the one that I'm I've kind of been exploring the most of. Um, just I just find it the most interesting and the most powerful. Yeah, yeah. I've, I mean, I've I've heard that from a lot of people just because of the amount of mad- madness that you can actually pull out of it, because of how vast it is. So, um, the way it's platformed, the way it's developed and built, like how how would you say what makes it different from like I guess I guess from Cinema 4D to Houdini? What is is there something in the the, the original idea of the intention of the programmers that created it? And how they how it's developed in consideration to the other program, which is like Cinema 4D or something. What's the big difference there? Uh, a big difference is that it's node based, so it works kind of like Nuke in that way. You're stringing mm. together nodes. Okay. Um, so everything is kind of like a pipeline, uh, and there's a lot of benefits to just node based workflows in general because you can you know branch things off in the middle of a tree and kind of like use them in another place and it's just more efficient to uh, to program that way. And then you always have like a stack of history that you can go back to. Um, but the core like paradigm difference to me between Houdini and other 3D programs is Houdini is, is the data is, is first. Like you're, you're dealing with points, like raw points. Mm. And uh, you're dealing with the attributes that are on those points. Like most points have a position. But then you can add whatever you want to them. You can add a velocity to them. You can add, you know a weight to them, a mass, uh, whatever. So then you can use that information on those points to do whatever you want. So it's like a very data centric program there. You're not like putting down, uh, these objects that they've already built for you. You're kind of just creating things from scratch. And that's kind of general because a lot of people use Houdini for like effects work, like in film and stuff. Yeah. These Krakatoa too, right? Yeah. Particle simulator. Yeah. Krakatoa is crazy. yeah, it's a crazy render. Uh, we've used it, it before. It eats so much memory too. Like, yeah, it's it's like terabytes I mean, and shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a it's an insane render. But yeah, like a lot of people are doing just off the shelf Houdini stuff. Like here, put a smoke cloud here, put an explosion here, and it's really good with that stuff. But that's kind of not what I'm talking about. I'm talking more about like the the ability that it has to just like create whatever you want. Like if if you have a very experienced Houdini artist and you ask him to do something and he tells you like that's not possible, then he doesn't know what he's talking about because like every <laughs> everything is possible in there if if given enough time. You know. So everything from um, you're more talking less about everything in general in 3D. Everything? everything in 3D basically. I mean, anything you can do in any other program, you could do in Houdini, and then you can do stuff that you can't do in any other program without just because like, of the way plugins. it's set up. Okay. Yeah, just just based on the amount of control that you have. Um, just do crazy like you know flocking simulations and like intelligent agents that you know have rules and i mean i've seen people build like uh robot cars within houdini that have cameras on the front of them and they look at the scene and then they can navigate around the scene like a robot like 
get go around walls and like avoid obstacles and stuff like that like just really crazy like a lot of that stuff is academic work but it just shows that like the the program is just it's powerful on a completely different level like it's just raw raw power (laughs) yeah just because of how big and massive it is from like the original idea i guess yeah, where I get confused is like, damn, how do I use that? I want to use that. <laughs> but I go, I don't want to sit there and learn calculus. So I say, no, I'm not going to sit there and learn calculus. But at the same time, I can totally see the value of it and understanding it. I mean, I talked a, a bit about it with Adam um, and his involvement with it, and he really loved it. And he, he created some just phenomenal things with that. I would just be blown away by it. Um, but at the same time, then I go like, you know what, I'm just going to go grab the camera and shoot a practical effect and bam, there you go. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And you, and you got to know, I mean, that's one of the biggest things is you have to know when to do one over the other. When is it better to fake it? When is it better to just shoot it? You know, yeah. like that stuff is so important. And well, that's a director. I think, yeah. Yeah. Most directors, I think like most good directors have a really good sense of that. Like what should they shoot? What should they try to just do in post and stuff like that? Like Fincher and... Yeah, he's a great example of using 3D properly, but also abusing it sometimes. But at the same time, he uses it in order to make his film what he wants it to be. Yeah, like Fight Club. Fight Club, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. that's like a really good example to me of like pretty good use of CG to like tell that type of story that he's trying to tell. Yeah. Um, Whereas like in Panic Room, it kind of pulls me out of it a little bit. <laughs> it's like, this isn't Star Wars, Finger. Come on, dude. I know you want to show off to your ILM buddies, but come on. Yeah, that's he was being a freaking nerd. Yeah, but definitely. Even like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, like... There's that train scene, all the all the computer generated images of the like the hacking and the images and all that stuff. You had like a whole team of people doing stuff, and then mm-hmm. even the car crash at the end. That's like I think it's all CG done by digital domain, which is pretty amazing stuff, you know. So, but he uses it in a way which I uh, agree with, and I think it's good if it complements the film and it helps you tell the story that you're after. Then by all means, you should use it, you know. But mm-hmm. if it doesn't, if it just gets in the way, like <laughs> Michael Bay, <laughs> but <laughs> but most people love that. Like one of my really close friends, like freaking adores Michael Bay films, and that's fine. That's cool that he likes it, and there's a huge audience for him. That's why they sell so many because it's just like fantabulous. Like it's just like a really giant motion reel, basically, like a visual yeah. effects reel. It's like look at me, look at what I can do, and. But it's, for me, I mean, I, I like to go beyond that. When you combine the both of those things together and you make a really fun, memorable story, that's when you've really figured it out. But, yeah, I mean, I'm preaching here, obviously. Everybody has their own opinions and stuff. I'm not trying to say that his films are bad. I just don't enjoy them personally. I just can't sit through them. But No, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely, like... Especially with Michael Bay, I think he's a good example of somebody that, like, he knows the tricks. Sure. He, he knows, like, you know... It looks the di- beautiful. Yeah, the dynamic shots and, you know, lots of camera movement, lots of parallax, uh, really long lenses when you, you know, pull the camera around in a circle. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. he, knows, like, <laughs> he knows all these tricks to, to, like, to do that stuff. But when, you're, when you study film and you're aware of those tricks, it's really hard to watch a movie like that and not just yeah. say, just not like, feel manipulated, you know? Exactly. That's the point, yeah. And, and, and I think that's what you'll probably, I mean, I don't know, I, I wasn't really, like, blown away by obviously the camera work and and under the skin but i was uh i was impressed of how they did it and i have a couple theories and my friend anthony talked about it so we'll have to talk about it after you watch it but um things like that but there that's a complete opposite film where there's crazy long scenes there's lots of pacing there's it's just 
it comes down to a lot of just core storytelling kind of concepts and ideas rather than whiz bang like bam effects and stuff you know so yeah but i don't know it's just really it's really interesting um and i agree i think you hit it on the head when you actually know how this stuff is made or you get an understanding at least even in the the crudest of sense you, you always you're wondering like well why did you do that or what's the choice of that and what's the point you know so but I guess that's, I mean, you know, it's easy to sit and judge. You know, I could sit and judge all day. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> they, that's that's why I'm like, I want to try and do film because I can't just sit and bitch all the day because that's just whack, you know. You're not doing anything. Like, I kind of find, like, critics to be kind of gross, you know. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, dude, all you do is sit there and leech off of somebody and then you don't even, like, propel them. You just talk crap. Like, you suck. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like yeah. it's more critic and less critique. Like Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and of course, if somebody's making horrible stuff, they should know that they're making horrible stuff. But at the same time, they're doing it and you're not, you're sitting there just complaining about it. So, yeah. um, but I, you know, it's like, I, I bring up the line, like be the change you want to see in the world. It's the same kind of thing. It's like, go and do it then, you know? So, but I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I think it's really interesting. And, and uh, I'm just curious as to what you would want to do if you were going to do something, you should definitely dabble in it. If it sounds like you already have a decent understanding in it. So, yeah, I mean, I really the only thing that holds me back is like, well, obviously time, but money is a big thing. I mean, I have right now I have a short film that I want to make that I'm trying to get money for. I have a a feature that I've been developing since I was in high school. Cool. Um, that you know I just keep chiseling it, chiseling it, chiseling it down, and uh, I'm convinced that like when I get that thing perfect the money will come somehow magically. I don't know. <laughs> or I'll be in the right place at that time that, sure. that I can get it made. But like, yeah, even struggling with this short, which to me doesn't seem like it's like one scene. Uh, it's not even, it's, it doesn't, it's not that ambitious, but you know, it's really hard to get that kind of money together. Um, and uh, what about Kickstarter? Have you considered that? I have, I have considered Kickstarter, but uh, where'd that go? Yeah. I don't know. I just I feel so weird asking people for money. <laughs> really? I think I think uh, if somebody's gonna pay Michael Bay to show them a bunch of effects, I think uh, why not? You know? Yeah. No. No. You're totally right. It's just my own like sure anti ego trying to not. I have the same thing. You know. Yeah. So I'm considering doing a Kickstarter for a big project that I'm doing. Um, it's more of a book, so that people will actually get something physical out of it rather than a film. That's the real hard part. Yeah, it is what do you, weird. What it do you is, give them back? <laughs> yeah, when you give them something physical, you know, if like I'm, I mean, I just, I mean, it's not like I'm trying to look at people as them. I'm looking at them as me, and I go like, well, if I paid something for this, I want something out of it, you know, like that's how yeah. these exchanges work when you when you exchange money. Um, but a lot of people, I think, are very supportive of things. I think there's a lot of people you'd be surprised. Um, I've seen a lot of really amazing successes out of just Kickstarter in general. Um, and if it doesn't succeed, it just maybe it's not time for it, you know. But if yeah. it does, then it, it, maybe it is, and maybe it's like, damn, now you owe it to yourself and the community to do what you what you are seeking to do, you know, and 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 find that. I think that that's definitely another uh, thing that's going to change a lot of things is is crowdfunding. Um, there's this whole like tutorial thing that my friends are like just having a blast doing, where they're just doing tutorials and, and getting a direct feedback from the from the community and stuff, and they're 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 like just doing it for their living basically now so they're just exchanging their tools and crafts and everything it's and it's working great because the community gets a lot of information that they would never get either or they would have to pay like 20 times more for it through like a dvd kind of thing which is mm -hmm. fine as well there's nothing wrong with that either but the market basically is changing there's more direct to um client to uh customer 
direct relation, you know, which is, which I think always is a good benefit, you know, so, but, you know, it's just a curious thing, but you should think and consider it, you know, I think it'd be interesting. Oh, I consider it every day. Yeah, <laughs> like, then do like, it. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's like, if, if you're thinking about something every single day, you, yeah. that's what you're supposed to be doing. Yes, absolutely. Well, I know you I need, I know you need to get back to work. Um, there's one thing that I know that somebody wanted to make sure I, I addressed with you is uh, for anybody that wants to start getting into coding or programming, um, what are some recommendations from your perspective of what you've been doing for as long as you've doing, been doing it? Somebody's curious and wanting to get into this, they... They might not necessarily want to be a director or they might want to or they they want to be necessarily like kind of figuring out problems or solving things. Uh, what would be a recommendation for you from you to get started in the industry? Wow, that's a good question. I would say that if you want to get into this industry um, and when I'm talking industry, I'd, I'd say like motion graphics, um, commercials, um, graphics for film, stuff like that. It's 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 hard to to sell yourself as just a programmer. Yeah. Like you you're gonna need other skills, even if they're just even if it's just knowledge. Like have some knowledge of film, have some knowledge of you know graphic design, have some knowledge of something that's that's also gonna be beneficial that you can fuse with the programming to really to really make yourself marketable and make yourself uh, something that is desired because I mean, if, if I walked into buck and I was like, I'm a programmer, uh, that's what I do. They would never have hired me. You yeah. know, I, I walked in there with a, with a motion graphics reel and I said, I know every program that you use. So hire me. And that's why they hired me. I mean, they found out that I could program later. Um, that's awesome. so I think that, uh, if you want to get started in, in programming specifically, um, I mean, there's so many great resources for that. I, I would say to start with processing, I think that's probably the easiest way for anybody who wants to create art with code to really start creating things. Yeah, I did it. So anybody can do it. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> I'm a freaking dummy with that stuff, and I figured it out. No, that's awesome. No, I definitely agree. And that's those are great pointers. So if you're listening and you're wanting to get into this stuff, I mean, that's that's obviously, I think, what he said is, is be really good at all kinds of stuff. But at the same time, if that's what your focus is, definitely give your time and attention to it. But... Yeah, I think that's awesome advice, you know, and I couldn't have said it better if somebody asked me about what, you know, how to do what I'm doing, you know, so just having having a, a value and showing a company like you need me in order to get this, you know, so that's uh, that's a good business too, though. So yeah, props to you. Well, dude, it's been awesome talking. I appreciate you yeah, coming on and, and, and chatting about the universe and everything else in between. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple things I'm sure that I missed that I wanted to talk to you about, but um, I don't regret it at all because we had a good conversation. So Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much. I'm going to, everybody that's listening, we're going to have links, obviously, as always. Uh, we'll have some show notes. We'll have um, a good, uh, we'll have all your website and everything. Um, is it just your website or do you have like a Vimeo as well that you want on there? Um, my website links to my Vimeo, but there's not much more on my Vimeo. So yeah, the website's okay. fine. And you have like a Twitter thing that you do people, do you do the Twitter thing? Is that something? Yes, like? I cool. am on Twitter. It's just my name, Albert Omas. Okay, cool. And then just, yeah, if you're curious or interested and I'm sure, is it okay if people reach out to you and say thanks or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I have students out reach here. out to me all the time asking me questions. So yeah, totally. Killer. That's awesome. Well, good on you for giving back to people and helping them out. But awesome, man. We'll have an awesome rest of the day. And thank you so much. And uh, yeah, singularity. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me, Ash. Yeah. Cheers, man. Have a great one. You too. Ciao.